Hey, everybody. Before we get into today's podcast, we just want to tell you about our event that's being held in New York City on February 15th and 16th. And we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to join us for this awesome, fun party. Kira, let's talk a little bit about what's going on at TCC in real life. So we're basically taking the podcast and a lot of people that we interviewed on the podcast, and then we're putting them all in a room, 75 people, and an amazing lineup of top copywriters like Kim Krause-Schwalm, Joanna Weeb, Rai Schwartz, Laura Belgray, Brian Kurtz, Kevin Rogers. I could go on and on and on. You can find their names and the list of speakers on the event page, which Rob will give you. But I've never been in a room with all of these copywriters, online marketers before. And beyond that, we're covering the three pillars of copywriting, what it really takes from going from a copywriter who takes orders from clients to going to really a really great consultant who knows how to run a business. So the topics are um, diverse, but they're covering basically the three pillars, the offer, the list, and the marketing strategy. Yeah, this is a copywriting conference, but it's not the typical stuff that you read about copywriting, you know, 10 new ideas for headlines that pull those kinds of things. The people who are speaking have incredible information to share. So Kim Krause-Schwalm, for instance, is going to be talking about the way that she's beat the controls that she's run for companies like Agora and Boardroom, real life lessons that are going to be immediately applicable to the kind of writing that we all do every day. And Jason Henderson, who's an expert at marketing acquisition and email. The topic of his speech is three email copywriting secrets I discovered helping porn stars get tan in 1994. Like You're not going to find that kind of stuff anywhere else at any marketing conference, but the takeaways are real. It's the stuff that we can use in our businesses every day. And really for me, that's a huge part of why I'm excited to be there. And beyond the content, right? Like new content, our presenters are bringing in new presentations they've never shared before. Beyond that piece, there's the whole networking aspect. We've built this community. We've all helped build this community. And now we get to actually hang out in real life. And so um, we're really focused on the social aspect just as much as we're focused on the content. And that's why we're really excited about a two-hour cocktail party Party. on Friday night. It's It's the final day. And the Agora companies are sponsoring this rooftop party. Again, open bar for two hours. Um, So it's a great way to really just meet new people in New York City with a fantastic view of Manhattan. So really the emphasis here is on meeting your fellow copywriters and building some real friendships and hopefully creating some opportunities too for your business. And it's not just the rooftop party. The first night, we're putting together dinners where people can go to dinner together in sort of small groups and chat and get to know each other. We have a killer swag bag full of uh, books and other things that our presenters have offered to share. The value of the swag bag alone is over $200 when you start to think about you know all the things that you're going to learn from the event, from the speakers, the things that you get free you're definitely going to want to be at this event. And beyond that, you can meet the hiring managers from the Agora companies. So they're they're there and they're excited to meet all of you. And there's a great opportunity if you're interested in direct response copy, you can meet with them and figure out you know what opportunities they have and how it overlaps with, with your business and your goals. So we could talk about this all day, but you're probably better off just going to the page to learn more where you can buy your ticket. Go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash T. 
TCC in NYC. TCC is capitalized, NYC is capitalized, but bit.ly forward slash TCC in NYC. You get all the details there. You can buy your ticket. You can even sign up for the extra event that we're having Saturday morning. It's just going to be a fun hangout in New York City with your fellow copywriters. It's all there. Find out more about it. And we look forward to seeing you in New York City, February 15th and 16th with the rest of the Copywriter Club. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 69 as we chat with copywriter and marketing consultant Myrna Begnall about managing clients so they want to keep working with you, what we can learn from the agency world, how she has structured her business and her time to get more done, and what it's like to start over after building a business with others. Welcome, Myrna. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Or should we call you Kitty? Kitty, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure why I can't get over that. It's like, I, to me, you're Myrna, and to Kira, you're Kitty. And I guess we're just going to have to live with that. You know what, though? It fell apart. So Myrna joined our think tank, and, and I was trying to stick with Kitty, but now you have become Myrna, and I can't go back to Kitty. So I'm sticking with Myrna. I know. You know, my high school friends all call me Myrna B. Ooh, I like that. My maiden name was actually B also, So and as if there's... Other Myrna's, you know, Myrna A, Myrna Z. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, to make sure that we don't get you confused with Myrna D and Myrna J. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you have a unique name like mine, you know, you, you kind of got to overcome it. I love it. So, Myrna, let's start with your story. You know, how did you end up here? And I'm pointing at the spot where you're sitting right now. <laughs> well, it's a kind of a convoluted story because, you know, I come into copywriting, a lot of people that I know, They've always known they want to be a copywriter. They had a very direct path into owning their own business and being a copywriter. And I think I come from a very convoluted path just based on my history, probably my third career. So I started off selling elevators and escalators right out of college. And I did that for six years. I was the first female sales manager in a company's 150 year history. But one of the things that, and I'm starting to date myself, but you know, we didn't have digital back then. It was a very different way to sell and communicate. We had an intranet to do email, but we didn't have, you know, they didn't have word programs. We actually dictated sales and letters and proposals. So it was back in the days of three-piece suits and you go to a construction site in a business suit, skirts every day. And so from that world, though, one of the things about it is that you always were writing, you were always thinking, you were always communicating, and there wasn't this digital world to distract you from everything. So there was always that writing in my background. I quit that and actually became a stay-at-home mom for a couple of years, which is a totally different switch. And I got really bored with that. And so I would always... Uh, looking for what was I going to do next. And I went back to school and I got a master's in writing. This is probably in my 30s and totally shifted and started my own business and started a small um, freelance writing company. And at the time it was focused on 
digital was really just coming out. And uh, I was focused on websites and I started building websites and started figuring out technology. And I realized that you could apply a lot of the same processes in project management of the elevator world to the exact same thing that you were doing, you know, in building websites and writing copy for websites. And that was where I first got introduced to um, a really huge project that changed my trajectory in my career, which was a digital agency hired me to do a huge, huge project for H&R Block. I ended up staying at the agency doing a lot more than copywriting for the next eight years. And that's really where I learned just about everything that I know about strategy, about how to manage projects, how to be the client whisperer, how to communicate. I, I, I got to write in so many different ways. I got to write video scripts that I never even knew I knew how to write. I got to write websites. I got to write emails. I got to create email programs, you know, talked about all sorts of different kinds of marketing and putting entire marketing plans together. You know, I sold anything from small websites all the way up to $150,000 websites. So really got a lot of exposure and tons and tons of cross training. How I ended up where I am today was a little bit of a fluke. I restarted the company because I, you know, once an agency grows from five people to 50, it becomes a very different animal and it wasn't really fun anymore. And so I wanted to go back to what I did before, which was get back to the writing. And it's something that is my passion. It's, it's what I really love to do. And so um, I went back to starting my own company and I was doing that for about six months and writing and doing some of my strategy work as well. And then I got hired on by another agency. They just made me an offer that I could not refuse. It was, it was literally making 75% more than I was at the old job. And when you're making that kind of money, you think that there's some stability and security in it. Well, it wasn't really a good fit and the agency wasn't going in the direction that I think I was going in personally. And sometimes the universe just knows what to do, even though you don't. 14 months after I had this job and it, I was just struggling with it. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I really was trying to get back to what I wanted to get back into. And 14 months later, they lay me off because I'm the most expensive employee and they want to go in a different direction. They want me to do business development and it's not what I wanted to do. A month later, my mom gets ovarian cancer and I end up not working for about a year and a half other than a, like a 12-week contract stint because I ended up taking care of her. In the meantime, my fiance, he's a consultant. He loses his job. We go through a three or four month span where we don't have any work at all. No income. We're living off our savings and I'm freaking out over that. He gets a job out here in California. We lived in Chicago before. And lo and behold, in the middle of this chaos, I'm moving, I'm dealing with my mom passing away, I'm traveling back and forth, and I'm trying to start a business because I'm going, well, what else do I know how to do? And I don't want to go work at an agency ever again. So I've been here about a year and a half, and it was great because it was like the giant etch-a-sketch of life. I just got to basically start over and decide to build my business exactly the way that I want to, which is why I said the universe decides you get what you need, you know, instead of what you want. And I needed to be shaken out of my comfort zone and I needed something different. And that's what I got. I love the story and the philosophy both. Before we dive into all of the agency experience and what you're doing right now, I want to go all the way back to that first sales job selling elevators. Yeah. This is... 
Yeah. First of all, not the typical thing that, you know, people would normally sell, but talk a little bit about your sales experience and how that has informed the other things that you do, especially in your writing. Yeah. Well, you know, it has a lot to do with relationship building because selling elevators and escalators is not, you know, you don't just pick up the phone, you go cold call somebody and pitch someone and go, Hey, you want to buy an elevator? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Nobody's buying an elevator every week or every month. No, I'll buy one. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think you can afford it, Kira. Yeah, you know, and it, it's a lot about building relationships ahead of the sale. And it has a lot to do with planning and knowing exactly what somebody wants and what they need. For me, that really translated a lot into process, infrastructure, and doing a lot of legwork up front before you ever take on a project or you, you know, so that you can anticipate what all of the things are and all of the components that go into a project. And I think that informs a lot of the way that I think about copywriting and clients today. For me, it has a lot more to do with knowing what it is that I'm, I'm selling developing a relationship with the people that I'm working with and not treating it as just a copywriting project. Um, Like it's not just a landing page or it's not just an email funnel. It's how does everything else fit into the grand scheme of things? So if you think of, you know, my copy as the elevator, I had to understand how that elevator fit in the rest of the building and how it was going to affect you know, the wait times are like Google Analytics and, you know, you're building a foundation and it has a lot to do with how you're moving people. So the analogies for me were huge. And it's what I really use to inform how I work with clients today. So how can copywriters, especially new copywriters, take that, what you're saying right there? Because it makes sense to me, but it also, it's hard for me to break that down, you know, what it really takes to see the big picture and understand the context of what your client needs rather than just taking the order and giving them exactly what they're asking for, which may not be what they actually need. Are there any tactics or any advice you'd give to a copywriter who just knows that they're not doing that? Yeah. And I think that it's two things. It's asking a lot of questions and having a series of questions that you kind of ask always and really thinking about what it is that you need in a project. I think that's one of the things that copywriters just, they get so excited, newbie copywriters, especially. I'm just as guilty when I first started was, oh my God, it's a project. Oh my God, it's a project. But you forget that you need to start asking some questions to really define that project. I think the other thing that a lot of newbie copywriters forget about is that they're forgetting about the audience and their role in guiding the client to better communicating with their audience. So what I mean by that is, you know, and and this is one of those things that just astounds me when I talk to a copywriter that says, oh, I'm just writing the copy. I'm not thinking about the audience and who I'm writing for. Because I come from a project management background and an account services background, my primary reason for existing is to take care of my client and to make sure that that client takes care of their client or their customer. So I become, as a copywriter, the client's advocate and the customer's advocate, the audience advocate. And I think if you start to look at any project from that standpoint, you start to go, well, this email isn't going to work for this audience. Uh, This email isn't satisfying the need that this audience has for information. This need is satisfying what my customer wants, and they want to talk in this business jargon. It's not satisfying what 
it's not the audience isn't hearing what they need to hear or in the sequence that they need to hear or the experience that they need to hear. And if you start framing everything that you do from the audience perspective versus versus the customer's perspective, you're going to be a lot more successful as a copywriter. Yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, where I write sales pages, the sales page is the stand in for a salesperson, right? And all sales are a negotiation back and forth, but you can't really do that on a sales page. You can kind of do it, you know, through an email sequence or, you know, if, if you're warming up a customer through a funnel or a marketing campaign. But a lot of times customers don't go through funnels, you know, they find a sales page and, you know, it's sort of, okay, decision time. And so, you know, using that kind of sales experience to uh, replicate that negotiation back and forth all on the sales page, you know, keeping the customer engaged. I think it's a really critical skill set to have as a, as a copywriter. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the more questions you can find out about what is motivating the audience and what you're trying to get them to do. And I think that a lot of clients, you know, in, in the copywriting world, they want these big results, but they kind of forget and skip over the, you know, well, what an external and internal and philosophical problem am I trying to solve for this client with this product? Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people forget, you know, even copywriters forget to write the call to action. And well, that's great that you're telling me I have all these problems, but what what do you want me to do next to solve that problem? You know, and and, and then once I'm there to solve that problem, well, what's going to happen afterwards or what are the repercussions of not doing that? And and so, you know, it, it's one of the reasons I sort of follow and I've been really following this sort of story storytelling and story brand framework of, you know, the audience is the hero. They're the people that that you're trying to guide to a different outcome. I'd love to get into the weeds and ask you about some of the questions you ask, and maybe it's on the initial call, the sales call, to really understand what problem you're trying to solve and understand the audience and what they need early on. One of the things that I've really shifted is I used to try to do a little bit too much discovery, you know, during those intake calls. And, and I realized that I need to spend a lot more time on a discovery call, making sure that this is the kind of person that I want to work with you know, and, and how are they answering questions and what's their process and what do they know about copywriting? The biggest shift for me in the last couple of months, especially was when somebody asked me, it's like, well, what kind of people do you want to work with? And, and I started to really redefine the people that I'm talking to. And instead of focusing that initial sales call on necessarily all of the elements that I could solve, it was more about really listening to them, what their problem are, problems are and how they think. And I started asking myself, is this somebody that I can work with? So then I started selling separately discovery, you know, and my discovery and my strategy is really a big component of every copywriting project that I do. And how in-depth that discovery session is sort of depends on what they're trying to do. But I don't think that without doing that discovery session, where I have different questions depending on what it is that I'm trying to do or find out or what the copywriting project is going to be, I ask a different set of questions for that. So I'll give you an example. I recently sold a big website redesign project. And it's much more of a strategic project because as I started talking to the people, it's for a nonprofit. They're wonderful to work with. They came to me with a problem. They said, we need copywriting. So I started asking them why they need copywriting, what was the problems with their copywriting. And it turns out that they needed a complete website redesign and they had absolutely nowhere to start. 
well, I can't do a website redesign project without doing a discovery session and without doing some strategic work up front and without doing wireframes and without doing all of these things that I've been cross-trained to do at the agency level. So, and they want copywriting too at the end, right? Which is a good bulk of what the project is going to be at the end. But without selling the strategy portion and actually putting a value to it, which is where they really need my brain power, you're going to be really stuck as a copywriter and not be able to really write well and to create the structure and you're going to start churning. So a lot of what I try to do as far as as these discovery sessions is focus on specific problem areas I always run into. It might be something along the lines of of marketing and sales objectives. How do we align sales and marketing? It might be their product offerings are the problem. So we focus a lot on product offerings. It might be that the audience is a problem, that they haven't defined the audience, or it might be simply something that's a usability problem, or it might be an SEO problem. So my discovery, I always try to do one discovery session that is very general and spend at least an hour to two hours talking about all of the general problems, because what that allows me to do is uncover the specific problems. And that is where the next session, if you try to do two parts, uh, the next session is going to be a very focused session working on very specific problem that you're trying to uncover even more problems, because you can't come up with a solution if you don't know what the problems are. So much of what you're talking about seems to be rooted in processes. And the more that I've spoken with you, Myrna, the more I realize that you really focus in on and get your processes right, whether that's, you know, onboarding and discovery, whether it's your writing process, whether it's the client management process throughout the entire thing. We talk a little bit about, you know, the thought that you've put behind your processes and why it's so important. Yeah, I think that the reason that I put, first of all, I'm an organization nerd. <laughs> I'm a technology nerd. So, I'm always looking for a better way to manage myself. And I assume that if there's a better way to manage me and my chaotic brain, that there's a better way to manage a chaos of a client. But, you know, the thing about copywriting, and this is where I really struggle and why I actually joined the think tank was that I quickly realized that I'm one person, I'm a solopreneur still, and that what I do when I work one-on-one and I give all this energy to a strategy and I give all this energy to a client is that it isn't necessarily repeatable and scalable. And that, you know, how do I grow my business? How do I, you know, make that six-figure thing and I'm not working 60 hours a week? And how do I get back some of my time and some of my life and some of my health and, and all of that? And, and, you know, I have a passion for all this, but well, you can burn out really, really quickly doing this seven days a week. So the reason that I do create as much process and things that are repeatable and things that are easy, and I look for technology that helps me and infrastructure, is because I want to be able to repeat and scale everything. And I think that the other thing that it does is when you have as much infrastructure and process, it means that you don't miss things either. Knowing that I can walk a client through a discovery process every single time means that I'm not going to miss something that is going to help me write a lot faster. I mean, when I get down to the point of writing a website, it shouldn't take me a month to write this website. If I've gotten everything figured out, it's actually the easiest part is going to be the writing part. It's this other puzzle piece that helps me anticipate all of the problems so that I can get to the point of being able to to just crank out the copy and then having it be right the first time. And For me, it just gets me bigger projects that way. And it gets me better clients who appreciate being guided through a process. People like the comfort of a process. 
if I go back to when my kids were little, they used to go to, to my mom's house and there was a routine, there was a regime. And, you know, they would go to somebody else's house and it was a free for all. And my older one, she actually was able to verbalize it. She said, I like going to grandma's house because there are rules. Clients are the same way. <laughs> they love rules and they love when somebody gives them the blueprint or a path. And so, you know, I think that more than anything, it really builds authority and it helps you become the boss. And they're not dictating the schedule. They're not dictating how the project's going to go. By the time you get to the copy part, it's easy. They already believe you. They trust you. Tell them what to do. And this is where I see a lot of copywriters struggling is, you know, the client is a disaster. The client is telling me to do, they're over editing, they're doing this. It all starts with the process. It all starts with what you do up front and how you bring that client on and the questions you ask them. If you can make the client think differently in that process and ask questions that they didn't consider about their copy or their process or their own website or something else that they're doing from the audience's perspective, you have built so much authority that they go, oh, the copy? Yeah, she's right. Right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Okay. So if you're like me, right? And well, I just am thinking, you know, I'm listening. I'm like, everyone probably wants to hire you and have you come in and just help copywriters create processes because for a lot of us, it just doesn't come easily and we want to reinvent everything every single time. Well, I'm, I'm just as guilty of that, you know, I mean, I, and I always tweak stuff and I'm always changing things. And I think, you know, one of the good times to do this is when you have a bad experience or when you have an experience that didn't go well, I started instituting at the agency project postmortems with the team. And it was asking yourself, well, what did we do right? And then what did we do wrong? And usually the projects where things went wrong, it will give you so many opportunities to correct things and to create new processes. And so did the ones that worked well. It's like, you know, you start to find some common elements of when a project goes well, why did it go well? Was it because of the client or was it because something that you did for that client made that project easier? Or was it a tool that you used or, you know, or did you try something different? And I think that to me is the biggest thing is to ask yourself when a project went right or wrong, what happened and how can I fix it? Yeah, no, that that's great advice. And I think I'm just thinking through, I don't take enough time to do that and reflect after each project. What else could we do? Again, if processes do not come naturally to some of us, what could we do to just get started and at least improve in that department with our next client project? Is there one specific process or tip you would offer that could help us dramatically and it's not as overwhelming as creating a system or an overhaul? That's a great question because, um, you know, I'm constantly even asking myself, where could I be better at things? You know, to me, it probably starts, and this is something I think I need to improve myself, and especially if you're doing some of the, you know, a lot of cold pitching in the beginning, is the intake process and how to get that client out of their head to figure out what it is exactly that they want so that you can define it in your proposal and create proposals very quickly that just answer the client's question, right? Which is why they came to you in the first place. I think that's where many of us falter. And if there's one place that you can start to, and will help you think about the rest of the process, it's probably in that client intake, that first phone call and that, how do you build that relationship and what questions should you ask? And it helps you improve your listening skills and your relationship skills and, and ask. It's not about selling yourself most of the time. It's about listening. And how do you listen? And how do you then translate what you heard 
into a solution and a package for your clients. And I mean, I struggle with this. So, you know, I'm not necessarily the expert on that, but I know that once I have them, it's easy to get them to that next point. But I think it all starts with that proposal and be sure you create the right boundaries in that proposal as well. Myrna, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your agency experience. You help build an agency, you work for another agency, and you, now you're working outside of an agency, but I think you still sometimes work with agencies. And so I'm curious what you think copywriters who maybe don't have that same experience should be able to learn or could be able to learn from what's going on inside agencies today. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, I think about this and sometimes people who know me, you know, they know I'm sort of thinking that the agency model is broken or that, that, you know, I create this very dystopian world of an agency. And, and some agencies are dystopians. That's fair. <laughs> not all. Yeah. yeah, not all are. And it, agencies have the best intentions, you know, especially ones that are just starting out or they're growing. I think there's just a couple of things that if you want to work with an agency, a huge advantage is that you get access to a lot of different smart people if, if it's a good agency, you know, and the boutique agencies that I've worked at were very focused on, on technology and digital marketing in particular and emergent marketing, if you will. So how to take new technologies and, and take old principles of direct response and apply them to new technologies, which is really cool for me because that's what I love to do. But you have access to a lot of brain power and you have access to a lot of cross training, if you will. The best copywriters in an agency are also tend to be creative directors in the old school model, right? They're the people who are most creative. They come up with ideas. They come up with concepts. They're these think, they're great thinkers and they understand how what they're doing relates to a campaign, you know, and a client. And when you work with an agency, you get the client perspective that you don't necessarily always get working one-on-one. -on -one. And I say that because you don't get the perspective of how they work with all other aspects. So how do you integrate design? How do you integrate development? How do you integrate strategy? So the agency world is great because you get these bigger projects and you get a lot of different moving parts. Do you think it's possible to replicate that outside of an agency? I definitely think so. You know, and we've talked about this in our think tank group, you know, what are the different models? You know, can you have what we call a micro agency where you kind of, you know, you have this group of creatives that you rely on and, you know, maybe a designer or developer, you have these resources that you manage in order to give the client what they need. I think you can replicate it that way. I think there's collaborative models where, you know, you collaborate with other copywriters that give you a little bit of that. So you could do bigger work. You could do bigger, say, content marketing work. And then, you know, you have a funnel specialist, you have a quiz specialist, you have a website specialist, a sales page specialist. So you can coordinate those. You know, you can do something that I'm experimenting with, which is this shared CMO model, where I would like to get one major client that I basically am their de facto CMO and I manage maybe their in-house team. So I can get, uh, yet I can still take on, you know, writing projects that, that, and pick and choose exactly what it is that I want with the rest of the week. So there's a lot of different models that can come out of that, that you can develop from the copywriter role. But I think from a copywriting standpoint, working at an agency or with an agency just opens your eyes a lot to the possibilities of what you can do. 
You've mentioned a couple of times cross-training, and mm-hmm. that is a good way of putting it. Because when I think of you, I think of a cross-trainer because you're just good at everything. I feel like you're the go-to person, especially in our think tank, because of your background. But I think you're right. We can get that. If we're not in the agency, we can still find that and have that background with collaborations and different courses and certifications to kind of pull this interest in learning when you're not in the agency space. Yeah. And I think it's a mindset more than it is necessarily a model. Sometimes it's a mindset of, you know, and it certainly helps me upsell a little bit too, is that, you know, it's a mindset of, yeah, you're hiring me to do a website redesign, but yeah. And I realize that, you know, if, if I start looking at your funnels that affect my website, that your funnels are also broken and the calls to action on your landing pages are broken. And I need to, you know, so I start to build the authority through the strategy in the website And then I start to talk about, you know, well, we'll look at your funnels and look at uh, this process. And what about your SEO? Have you thought about this? And you start to uncover these things that now make you pretty much indispensable to them. You know, and if they like your style and the writing and all that, suddenly you have this giant client that you can put on a retainer or you can become their CMO. I think it takes a special mindset from the standpoint of you don't mind pivoting and you don't mind diving into something that you might not be as comfortable doing sometimes. I mean, I'm not by any means, I'm more of a content writer than I am necessarily a copywriter. Sometimes I still struggle, as you guys know, like sales pages, you know, and they're not my thing. And in in certain industries, they're really not my thing. But you know, that doesn't mean that I can't push myself out of that comfort zone to help somebody and actually become pretty good at it. So when I say cross training, I think that has a lot to do with your mindset as far as be willing to push yourself outside of that comfort zone and do something that you might not be good at. Yeah. And Myrna, I want to shift gears and kind of back up a bit because I can't let this go. But I was just thinking through how you started over in your business yeah, and what it really takes to start over. And it sounded refreshing as you were just saying it. But, you know, a lot of us do need to start over maybe several times or there's a big pivot. So I'd like to hear what that really looked like for you, the good and the bad. I mean, what it really takes to start over, especially just thinking through what do you focus on first when you're starting from scratch? Yeah, you know, there's two elements to that. There's like the doing part, right? The the actual, like, I got to start a business and I've got to restart my business and I've got the 20 things that need to happen from legal entities to paperwork to proposals and the website and all that. But there's this mindset part that I think we don't talk enough about as far as copywriters and the fears and the confidence. And a lot of us are introverts. So we think that the world is like, you know, (laughs) it's a scary place. And I know I come across as confident (laughs) and I may come across as people think that I'm outgoing and everyone's, oh, you're an extra. I'm like, I'm not. I don't draw energy. I go and crawl into my, you know, and, and <laughs> into my office here and just kind of pout and, you know, and, and get angry and scared and cry. And I'm, my suggestion is to get a big pair of sunglasses and go outside and take a walk on the beach. <laughs> but, you know, the mindset of that is it really took me, this is my third attempt at sustaining the business, right? A solopreneur business. I had a passion for it. It's what drives me. It's kind of my why. And I need to be in this. I don't want to work for somebody else. I don't want to build somebody else's business up anymore. I want to build up my own business. But there's this huge fear 
about st- security and stability. And that's the part that you really have to figure out how to overcome. You know, for those that sell that this is a four hour work week or that, you know, <laughs> this is, you can do this part time. It's tough. It's really, really tough. You got to be somehow all in and make that commitment that you're going to transition into it. You know, you can't be tempted. You got to be surrounded by a support system that says, hey, you know, I've told everyone in my life, if I ever say to you that I'm going to go back and work for a real company, you know, or a real agency ever again, you all need to stop me and have an intervention. And once you make that decision, I think that somehow things sort of fall into place and you are going to be driven to do what you really want to do. I had to overcome stupid things like it took me like six months to get my own website up and running. And that's because I'm a perfectionist and I built it all myself. I didn't trust anybody else to do it the way I wanted it done. And so I started on moving pixels at the end. And I'm like, just get this out into the world. So, you know, my only advice is get yourself out there faster. As soon as I put my website out there and I felt comfortable about selling who I was and thinking it through, all of a sudden clients come in. I haven't pitched new clients in, in a while. I actually get a lot more referrals. People work with me and they're like, oh my God, I need your brain. So, you know, the the hardest part is making that initial decision to just, this is what I'm going to do and nothing's going to stop me. I don't necessarily want to beat a dead horse here, but we recently did an interview with Doberman Dan that we didn't share on iTunes, but we are sharing with our subscriber list. And he talks about how for 10 years, he focused on skill set and, you know, just got really good at what he did, but his business didn't move forward until he started working on mindset, which he said has now just, I don't want to say 10 X, but has helped his business grow in new ways that, you know, he couldn't do before because he just didn't have all of that thinking done. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is quite honestly, it's also getting the help and investing in yourself. Your business, I don't think is going to grow if you don't start changing the way that you think about getting some support, getting some help. It just challenges you to think differently. And I know, I mean, I, besides being in a mastermind, you know, I've invested in a business coach and she helps me with a lot of my mindset part and, you know, just confidence and about thinking about your business in a different structure or what pushes you outside that comfort zone and how do you deal with things when you're outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, I mean, like yesterday, I was feeling extremely overwhelmed and, you know, I get panicked about all the things and you're trying to be patient while you're waiting for a big proposal to come through or you can't get a hold of the client. And downtime for me is the worst because I start to panic about why it's down. So, you know, the best advice I got yesterday was, you know what? Chaos is actually good. You need to learn to be in the chaos and chaos is a sign that you're growing. Sign It's a chaos is a sign you're uncomfortable, which means that you are actually getting to that next step. And, you know, you if you don't start shooting for the moon, you're never going to, you know, at least part of the journey is part of what is going to change you and make your business different. That makes me feel better because my life is chaotic every day. So I feel like I must be on the right path. (laughs) Chaos is actually a good sign that your brain is thinking and that you're doing things differently. And, you know, there's ways to harness that chaos as well. And, and, you know, I'm big about putting structure to chaos and it's like, get it all down. You know, I think Amy Porterfield, she talks about an attack of the overwhelms. And then I'm constantly having an attack of the overwhelms. And the best thing to do about that is just have a big giant brain dump and write down everything and then start categorizing it. And you'll start to see it's like, well, that's not so bad. It just feels really overwhelming at 3 a.m. 
I think there's probably a lot of people listening who really like your approach as sort of the CMO for hire. What does a typical project look like? You know, it's obviously you're not just taking on blog posts or even you know, just one sales page at a time. Tell us, you know, how a project like that comes together and what you do to make sure that the client's happy at the end. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing because that's something that's really evolving for me. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And it's a natural progression for me because I do so much of the strategy work up front. I kind of see it as two parts of my brain. There's thinking and then there's the doing part, right? And the CMO role in, a, say, a smaller organization where there's a lot of chaos is that that is to bring them back into some structure. So a lot of, I'll give a good example. I just put out a proposal out there to, to do this for a big client. And he's got two different business entities for something that he does. And he's got two other business entities that he invests in. You know, one's a retail company, one's a software technology kind of company. And he's all over the place. And he's so busy doing that he's never stopped and actually gone, what am I trying to do? And how am I trying to do this? Do I have the right people in place? So the CMO role, the way I see it, is structuring it, is to really work on bringing the client back from the weeds and looking at things sort of at that aerial 30,000 foot level and translating that to me so that I can understand exactly what they're doing, who they're doing it for and why, right? And what they expect the results to be. And then there's this other component that is the bulk of the work actually, which is the doing, which is when we're executing these campaigns, are they the most efficient that they can be? What are the campaigns? What do they look like? Do we have the right people in our organization in either in-house or do we need to go out and get some more subs and, and manage those people and make sure that they're all on the same page? Can I find one person that does more of a campaign that is a cross trainer that can actually execute on some of these things? It's really taking a bigger deeper dive and harnessing a lot more chaos on a, on a bigger level. As far as my copywriting goes, I think it becomes much more of a, from an editorial standpoint and managing other copywriters. So it kind of molds into that agency model as well. And then it's sometimes going to be, there are certain things that somebody just maybe can't do, or we can't find somebody that gets the voice and is, is embedded in the client as I am. So for example, one of the things I love writing is video scripts. I have a hard time finding other writers who once they know a lot about this client, and I tend to work with some clients that have maybe boring industries or difficult things to understand or difficult products to sell, is that, you know, that I just can't find somebody who gets the voice of that, you know, to write a video script. So I'll get into that and I'll write the video script. So I see it as kind of a three-tiered level. So it's much more strategic, it's managing the doers, and then sometimes getting involved with actual writing projects. How packaging those big proposals, especially I know we <laughs> chatted about the recent one, without sharing the exact numbers, but sometimes it feels so daunting when you're thinking of, okay, great, I've got a client, I know how to solve their problem, I know they have a budget to solve this big problem, this may take three months, six months, how do I break it down in the proposal so they say yes and I don't shortchange myself? Yeah, and that's a great question because, I mean, it's still something that I'm that is evolving for me. But I think that the initial way that I've been thinking about it is that, you know, again, I've separated into thinking and doing. So because I don't want a client to take up 40 hours of my week because I, I need to diversify, I, I like to stay recession-proof, if you will, and not rely only on one single client. I set a limit as to how many hours a week I think I can devote to that client in terms of the actual doing and managing of people, right? 
So as weird as it is to say, I'm structuring it around not an hourly rate, but a breakdown of you get not to exceed this many hours per week per month and give them a lump sum figure. And I'm basing that lump sum figure on a more agency type rate so that in case I need to go hire somebody, and I know roughly what average you know, agency rates are. So I know that if I stay in that range, that I can afford to outsource some of the things or get some of the tools that I need. And, and that will include X amount of activities. Separately from that, I think that it, and that's a monthly deal with a minimum like six month deal, because you can't make change for somebody in an organization as a CMO in less than six months. I just have a follow-up to that, Myrna. Yeah. What What is the agency rate roughly? I, I mean, I know it probably varies. It varies and it varies on the individual, but like in a big city, for example, like a Chicago or an LA, it's probably ranging from the 125 to, I don't know, 175 rate, depending on like a blended rate. Cool. So Myrna, as we get close to wrapping up, I want to ask what things do you wish you had done differently throughout your career? Are there regrets where you look back and you think, oh man, I could have just done so much more, so much better if I had only done this instead of that? Well, I try not to live in the rear view mirror kind of world where, you know, that's why they all say the windshield is the bigger one than the rear view mirror is so little because you shouldn't be looking in the rear view mirror. But probably my biggest regret is not sticking to building my own business and having the confidence to believe in myself that I could make writing my life, my job. When I took the last agency position I took because I thought it was security and I thought it was good money and insurance and you know the right reasons for stability and family and all of that. I came home, I signed the contract and I came home and I said, I think I made a mistake. I'm going to regret this. And it's not listening to your gut enough. My biggest regret is that when I don't listen to my gut, and know that it's a bad decision for me, and I do it anyway, I need to start listening to my gut and have the confidence to just keep going. And, you know, I just didn't at the time. And, you know, life changed everything. And it put me in a circumstance where I have no choice but to rebuild something. And, you know, that's the best thing for me right now. Wow. And Myrna, this has been just so interesting and insightful. And I feel like, you know, you have added so much value to our think tank group. We're just both grateful that you're in there because you've helped everyone with all of your expertise and knowledge, especially from the agency world. You know, if someone listening wants to get in touch with you, has a question, wants to work with you, hire you, where can they find you? (laughs) Yes, please. Well, the best place to start would be probably on my website. And because I have such a weird name, I actually use a business name and that is Artessa Marketing. And it's Artessa, A-R-T-E-S-S-A, marketing.com. Or find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever, you know, I do a lot of social media. So, and in or the Copywriter Club. So I'm definitely active in there as well. Yeah. And you've added so much. It's been awesome talking to you. This is much, so much deeper than what we normally get to do. And this has been really valuable. No, thank you guys. It's a lot of fun to talk about the things that I'm passionate about. So I appreciate the platform. Thank you, Myrna. Yeah. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. 
We'll see you next episode. 